So this is today. Today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today. You traveled through time to the present. Yes. Yeah, I don't think you get how time travel works. It's like we're stuck. You know, like a, like a needle on a scratch record. I wake up every day right here, right in Punxsutawney, and it's always February 2nd. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. It's a thing where the same day keeps happening. Time. in a damn time loop or something well it's groundhog day again and that must mean that i'm professor robert eg black and i'm here with chris frain fellow movies by minutes podcaster hello here to discuss groundhog day again still always <laughs> when did you see this rise and shine campers <laughs> when did i see this it came out in 93. I was yeah. still in college. I think it was my senior year. And the reason I bring that up is because I have a very specific memory of a philosophy professor hmm. asking the class, have you seen Groundhog Day? <laughs> and I've actually, it's funny, I've actually talked about this on other podcasts. I didn't see any movies when I was in college because there were no movie theaters nearby. And it was such a small, I mean, it was, I went to college in Baltimore, but like, there were no movie theaters in the immediate neighborhood huh. of okay. Loyola College. So we had asked, and of course, everybody's like, no, we haven't seen it. And it was just weird to have a professor who's like 25 years older than you saying, no, you should really go check this movie Because <laughs> you're thinking like, well, wait, is he talking about the Bill Murray movie? Because yeah. in my mind, of course, all Bill Murray movies are Caddyshack. Yeah. Or that one that he did, the World War One deadly serious movie based oh. on the Hemingway story. I know what movie you mean. Yeah. So it was just weird to have a professor yeah, say, uh, you ought to check out that Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day. So then I remember seeing it probably either Thanksgiving or Christmas or summer after it came out because I had a friend from high school whose dad had a big TV in the basement and basically bought every first release movie like on VHS or Laserdisc. Oh. There's a good chance I saw this on Laserdisc. Nice. When they would come out, like he just had a, his library of movies must have been insane. <laughs> and I and I enjoyed it. I really liked it. I like this version of playing with time. Let's just call it that for now. Yeah. More than Back to the Future. Okay. I don't like straight up time travel. And my wife hates anything to do with time travel <laughs> at all. And she hates anything to do with like mucking around with time. It's like how she also doesn't like cilantro. Like, I can't fix it. Right. There's nothing I could tell her. It's genetic. That cilantro is good or that, you know, mucking around with the constructs of time in a movie are, are good. I still remember the first time I noticed cilantro in something. <laughs> it was the first time I ate at California Pizza Kitchen in the late 90s. And I was like, what is in my mouth? And I'm like, have I never had cilantro before that? It didn't make any sense. Right. But it... It was Cilantro weird. was invented in the mid-1990s. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> or just never came up because we ate more like, I don't know, German kind of food when I was a kid, maybe. Sure. So cilantro wasn't a thing. I don't know. Yeah. 
But yeah, certain movies don't work for everyone and that's okay. No. They all work for me. Well, except for when I want to complain about how they don't work. <laughs> except for Mandy. Yes. Although that worked for me too, because I got to make a whole show about it. <laughs> and there are worse movies out there than Mandy. And better movies than Mandy too, you weirdos in the audience. You like that movie. <laughs> this is minute 12, so we're not in the time loop yet. Depending on how you define it. We are. <laughs> we're establishing baseline values yes. is what yeah. we're doing. You know, it's like uh, I do data analysis for my job and it's like, okay, can we, you know, can we establish a baseline, you know, for membership growth for our organization? What does it look like in a normal year? And then what is, you know, how does it go up and down over time? Well, this is the baseline day. We're experiencing linear time at this moment. Yeah. That's a good comparison, actually. I, I always just call them loop markers because every time loop movie or TV thing does this. That first version, there's always something weird that happens so that you know the character will realize it's the same day. And Ned Ryerson coming up to you, you're going to remember it. Right. If nothing else. Oh, geez. Stepping in the yeah. puddle is something that the first time he avoids it is a big deal because he's realizing he can change what happens. So Ned's important. And we're in the middle of that exchange with him just saying he dated Phil's sister, Mary Pat, a couple of times until he told him not to anymore. <laughs> and now finally Phil pays along. Yeah. Have you ever had this experience where someone from your past, and I think we're roughly in the same age cohort. Ish, yeah. Yeah, ish. I won't say, I will <laughs> tell people they're old, but I'll say that they're Oh, we're maybe, old. Okay. Has that anyone from like your past ever stopped you and said, oh, Robert Black, oh my God, I haven't seen you in so long. That happens online many times. Okay. I know that's happened where like Facebook, someone will find you that they finally made a Facebook and then they're finding people that we went to high school with or something. Right. In person, I don't know that it has. I've never had it happen. I've never had this happen. Now it helps that I physically moved 2,000 miles from where I grew up, then moved another 1,000 miles from there. But I've never had this happen. And it's funny, like, because I've never had that happen, even if it was an obnoxious, pushy insurance salesman, I would be so delighted <laughs> to meet someone in the flesh from my past, even a bully <laughs> or just someone who messed with me, you know, because I know that, that, you know, they have no bearing on my life now. Right. I would be so delighted. And that, that's watching this scene that Ned Ryerson says, yes, it's hilarious. Stephen Tobolowsky does such an amazing job with this in playing this goofball. It hurts to watch him just sort of like recoil at and then try to like basically just dodge this guy, mm -hmm. you know. I, I would be more like that fourth or fifth iteration of Phil and just like hug him and, you know, it's so good to see. Although he's kind of doing that. Yeah, uh, to get also to know, get rid of him. Yeah, in, uh, insincerely. I think I'd be close to this one and be like, I don't remember you. Although I went to a really small high school, so I would remember everybody. Right, right. My graduating class had 13 people. Oh, my goodness. So I would know any of those people if I saw them, which would be weird because I don't see any of them. <laughs> For a while, my mother still went to the same church as a couple of them, and I, so I'd still run into those few. But now, no. But Ned has so much to tell him, too. All the, I mean, most of it was last minute, but he dated his sister. Yeah. I think I said last time. Maybe she got around a lot. Maybe if he wouldn't remember anyone Mary Pat went out with. 
because there were just so many. I don't know. Yeah, I, that's something I would never bring up if I were in Ned Ryerson's shoes. Yeah, I went out with your sister and you told me not to. Yeah. Oh, so I didn't like you back then? Okay. Why do I want to talk to you now? <laughs> I guess he's just desperately trying to trigger any memory from him at all. Right. At that point, he's already thrown out that he got sick, that he was in the talent show. This is the only indication we get in the movie about where Phil is from. Right. Because none of the rest of that gets into the movie. I don't think any other reference to Cleveland makes it past the first version of the script because he visits his mother in that version. Mm -hmm. So we get more talk about it. That doesn't make it. But Ned does. Ned the bull. Yeah, Ned the bull. That's me now. <laughs> and his bings. And when Phil finally plays along, he says, bing, also. So did you turn pro with that belly button thing, Ned, or what? And I noticed a, con well, I've probably noticed it before, but I noticed it again. Continuity problem here. Uh-oh. I need to start noting every extra, just like I did in my blog, which is going to be hard in this format. But the extra and the yellow cap, it's a guy and then he's with a woman. They walk by as Phil says, or what? Ned says, I sell insurance. And he says, what a shock. And they walk by again. Uh -huh. The same two people walk behind Phil. So two different takes, their timing was off, which is fine. I mean, they're extras. You can't keep track of all that. It's when an extra disappears later in this scene that bothers me. Can you imagine being the continuity director or what, what are they called? Continuity assistant? If you have someone under that title, yeah. Okay. Or the editor. I think with Harold Ramis, they had the fortunate thing that he didn't care. Yeah. Well, and the audience doesn't care for the most part. Right. Usually the audience for a movie aren't movies by minute podcasters. So nope. there's still billions more of them than there are of us, which is good. <laughs> still. For now. We'll see how that goes. But I can't even imagine being in charge of continuity on a film like this. Even the cars in the background are mostly the same cars in the same part of the conversation. The extras are really close, as Phil would say, you know, really close, <laughs> but not quite. But that's okay, because we're focused on Ned. This is the first time we're meeting him. We're fascinated. We don't notice the two guys randomly browsing a, I think it's a copy place window that they're standing by. Right. It's just because those extras wanted to stay in the shot a little longer. We will see them again later, though. Do you want to hear something really strange? Always. I have not seen this movie since, okay, if I've seen it maybe once since 1994. Wow. Until yesterday. <laughs> that would seem reasonable that I've only seen it maybe once in the span of almost 30 years, right? Yeah. When Stephen Tobolowsky appears on screen. In the middle of the street. In the middle of the street. <laughs> my brain triggered the words Ned Ryerson before he even said it. Nice. I don't know how that happened. And I didn't even know it referred to him. In my brain, <laughs> the name Ned Ryerson popped up. There must be some other media that has referenced this character. Like, it must pop up in, like, Family Guy or something as a reference. Because why would I think of that specific name after hearing it maybe twice in the last 30 years? I mean, I know people reference him, but it's sort of when you're talking about Groundhog Day. I can't think of a specific yeah. reference outside of this other than his character on Glee also had the last name Ryerson. Oh, weird. Okay. But I don't know. And that must have been a deliberate reference. It seems like it was. Yeah. He's like Ned Ryerson if he were a really gay guy who was into Glee clubs. Okay. <laughs> 
you know, really, right. who's to say that's not how Ned Ryerson is? Right. He's got a feather on his hat. He's got a very thick tie. That would have been, a, yeah. There's so many weird side plots they could have included in the film. And one of them could have, been, you know, since Bill Murray is trapped there for an infinite number of days, yeah. it could have been that he finds out all, what all about Ned Ryerson. And we could have watched that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's his story? Yeah. Ned does get a great song in the stage musical. Oh, there's a musical of Groundhog Day. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. And the soundtrack to it is wonderful. And what I know of the production is awesome. Like they made the bed that he wakes up in. He can crawl into the back of it to come back out the bed again. Oh, I see. Right. right, For the scene transitions. And so he can like pop up again and again in the same place when they need a montage. Have you addressed the question of why doesn't he just stay up until 6 a.m.? We haven't talked about it on this show much. I think in the blog it came up. I don't think it matters. We can assume he may have done it at some point because he knows the time loop resets. They do a version of that in the Italian remake, Stork Day. Stork Day. Yeah. Or Agia Ieri. How does that translate? It's tomorrow already? I think is how that translates. I don't know, but I got to check this out. I'm intrigued. The Stork Day remake, he does try to stay up at night and they basically do this weird transition where he starts seeing weird colors in front of his eyes. Everything goes blurry Hmm. and then he wakes up in the bed. It's like, it wasn't that exciting. And I watched that when I was watching this every day for a year and I'm like, okay, yeah, we didn't need it. Right. It's where my brain logically went. There are bigger problems in this structure. (laughs) The movie tells us that a train goes through town, but he never gets on that train. Like we see a train. Oh, that's true. Yeah. We see the train station. We don't realize we see the train station, but we see the train station and he never gets on that train because that was stuff from the original script. He does go out of town. He learns how to fly a plane. He goes through the snow like that Super Bowl commercial last year where he did all these other things and going out on snowshoes and stuff. He flies to visit his mother in Cleveland in the original script. Mm. Yeah, they made a definite point with the blizzard of keeping him in this. Yeah. He's like Ava in the uh, testing facility. Yeah, it's a bigger facility, but yeah. same test. Yeah. See how he relates to other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See if he can genuate true sincerity. It's like he spent the film so far being slightly rude in slightly different ways <laughs> to everyone. Right. And then they're like, okay, now this guy from your past shows up. What are you going to do? I'm going to not remember who he is. I'm going to try to get away from him as fast as possible. And as soon as I get the chance, I'm going to punch him. It's not going well, this test, until he gets help from you know Rita instead of Caleb to escape, maybe, depending on how you interpret the plot. Where were we in the minute? Oh, he says, he, uh, no, I sell insurance. What a shock, <laughs> which is fun. And then... Ned has such great lines in this minute because he's really eager to explain. He's like Caleb or Nathan in the next Machina, really eager to explain everything. Do you have life insurance? Because if you do, you could always use a little more. Am I right or am I right or am I right? Right, right, right. I just realized that that's a joke about the time loop. (laughs) That like, he's never going to (laughs) die. Right. He doesn't need it. When he finally buys it is when he gets out. It's like, oh, no. I just realized that. Sorry, listeners. I'm pretty uh, thick. Speaking of Stork Day, one of the only parts of that movie that I think is possibly better than this movie is the very end. Because toward the end of his loop, he goes to this auction every day where they sell livestock. 
and he has bought something like 30 sheep. I think it is. But when the loop ends, he realizes, oh shit, I bought 30 sheep this day. (laughs) So he now owns 30 sheep that he has to pay for. And they just like, they drive up in a a truck with a bunch of sheep in the back at the end of the movie. And he realizes that happened. (laughs) I kept wondering, because I didn't remember the movie. I remembered the premise of the movie. And I remembered certain scenes, mm-hmm. the the quarry scene in particular. Yeah. But I, yeah, I kept wondering as it was developing, like, okay, obviously at some point he's going to get out of this. It basically involves, you know, getting the princess to kiss him. So he transforms right. from the frog to a prince. But what is he going to do in that day that then he has to deal with the consequences of? And of course, exactly. There, there's not much. Well, yeah, he does a bunch of good things. He that does day, a bunch so of good it works out for him. Yeah, it's all upside. He didn't buy a flock of sheep. Yeah, he probably didn't pay a thousand dollars for the piano lesson that right. day because now he would know Mary's schedule. Right. Going back to Ned Ryerson, one thing I picked up on is that they purposefully dressed him as someone from like the early sixties. <laughs> So I was around and pretty conscious of, I I was actually a pretty fashionable guy in 1993, 94. Mm -hmm. No one dressed like that. Even middle-aged men selling insurance did not dress like, he's wearing vintage clothes, essentially. He would be like considered like a hipster Uh back then for dressing that way. It would be, you'd be like a Kramer, you know, almost. I thought that was a fun little visual gag of like having him dressed like he's out of time. Yeah. Like uh, unstuck in time or something. He's, he's, you know, he's been stuck in a loop since he got his job selling insurance, maybe. I don't know. But that would have been like impossibly early for him. That would have been when he was like 10 or something in 1965. <laughs> Sorry, I got, I just got stuck because I have the minute repeating on my left monitor. And I just saw something I've never seen before. And I love that because I've seen this movie over like somewhere between 450 and 500 times. Wow. I don't know. Oof. Exactly. I know there's a copy place here. There's some sort of gift shop, but there is a key hanging from one of these awnings that I've never noticed. A big metal key. I don't know which place it's hanging in front of, but like a ceremonial key to the city size key or a or the key to there's also those neon tools in the window so it may be like they were going because i know part of this was dressed for this movie mm-hmm. like you can't see it now but they walk past the tip top cafe and that was an empty spot when they put the cafe in there where was this shot if you don't mind woodstock illinois outside chicago okay behind ned actually you can see uh the one of the stores is woodstock jewelers mm. And so, yeah, they picked it because it had a town square. They wanted it to feel contained. Right. It reminded me a lot of the town that they used in Waiting for Guffman. Mm, yeah. Which is in Missouri. No, I mean, it's set in Missouri. I think that actual town is in Texas somewhere. Fun story real quick about small towns being used as filming locations. There is a Las Vegas, New Mexico. Right. And Red Dawn was filmed there. And basically... So it stood in for the fictional Calumet, right? Calumet, Colorado. I think so, yeah. And part of the deal was like the location scouts and pre-production coming through town and saying like, I hope you're okay with this. We'll compensate you if you let us blow up some of your buildings. (laughs) And basically the town was like, we were going to let you blow up the buildings for free, but sure. Yeah. You know? (laughs) In other words, there wasn't a lot going on in that town. Nice. 
Phil says, Ned, I would love to stand here and talk with you, but I'm not going to, which I love this line. See you. And he keeps walking and Ned goes along with him. Hey, that's all right. I'll walk with you. You know, whenever I see an opportunity now, I charge it like a bull. Ned the bull. That's me now. You know, I've got friends of mine who live and die by the actuarial tables. And I say, hey, it's all one big crapshoot. Anywho, tell me. <laughs> now he stops to tell me. Have you ever heard of single premium life? Because I think that really could be the ticket for you. God, it is so good to see you. What are you doing for dinner? And up until I think the revised version of the script, Phil said, dinner, sorry, I'm on a nine day fast. And if I break it now, I'll lose my room at the monastery. <laughs> That's a pretty funny line. Which is pretty funny, but yeah. I love that he just says something else. Like even in this moment, Phil doesn't know what to say, right. but he's still clever enough to be dismissive. Right. Something else. How much did Bill Murray improv? During shooting, I don't think it was very much. Oh, okay. But that's because he was working with Ramis, who he'd known for years, and they did a lot of the rewrites together and a lot of improv while like working up to the filming. Okay. Because for a lot of this, they had to know what he was going to say because right. they're filming this multiple times right. to match the weather. Oh, okay. Like they would film every version of this Ned's Corner scene Every version of it would be filmed on one day. True. And then they'd come back on a different day and film all of the versions again in like sunnier weather or cloudier weather so they could match it later because you couldn't do the you know digital stuff you could do now where you just match the sky on a computer. Right. Because so much of this sounds like off the cuff Bill Murray. Yeah. Or at least like that he wrote it for himself. Mm-hmm. Like it's in his voice. Yeah. Like it's in his actor voice well basically you had danny rubin's original he did a rewrite as it was going out to producers and then harold ramus comes on and relatively quickly they get bill murray involved hmm. and so harold ramus and bill murray have improv background that's what they do right right harold ramus especially likes to hit a joke we're going for that punchline we're going to get it here and then give it a pause for laughs move on and so there's a structure to it that also makes it feel like that even when it isn't because that's just how they're putting lines together. Yeah. Like the scene where they're, uh, I'm jumping ahead. That's okay. The scene where they're in the truck and he's got the groundhog and he's like, mm, okay, yeah. now check your mirrors left and right. Yeah. Yeah. Side of your eye. Side of your eye. That's such a, a Bill Murray thing. Mm -hmm. It's so silly. It doesn't feel like something an adult would say. Right. But a kid wouldn't be clever enough to say it. There you go. He has a very specific spot in the middle of those you, things. You nailed it. Yep. Yep. And uh, the minute ends, he says, it's been great seeing you, Needlehead. Needlehead. Take care. And he goes to leave him again and cross the street, which we'll get next minute. Oh, so we don't get the puddle. No, not until next time. Okay. Right? Or we see hit, we see the puddle, I think, at the very end of the minute. Yeah. The angle changes, his foot starts to go in and it cuts off. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to jump ahead again. That ruins your whole day. I'm sorry. Oh, getting your foot wet? Yeah. When he goes in and out of that puddle, which goes all the way up past his ankle. It has ice floating in and it. And it has ice floating in uh -huh. it. That's your whole day is recovering from that. <laughs> and you don't have, you're not wearing, you know, Wellingtons or. No, he came to be on TV. He yeah. didn't prepare for weather. Yeah. He's a weather man. He's not, <laughs> he doesn't have to deal with that. So we do have a segment on this show. Mm -hmm. Time loop of the week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of life is just junk, right? It's, it's filler. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit 
just for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time if it wanted to. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. No, I honestly don't even know how that could be possible. Maybe think about it. We must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone, lost forever. But not today. That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. It's a perfect day. You couldn't plan a day like this. Well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work. Time. 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 The last revision is what counts, apparently. Time. What if we found Time. them all? All the perfect things in this Time. one town, Time. in this one day, we could collect them. I believe we both picked time loops that aren't time loops. Yeah, I, I bent the uh, definition a little bit. I apologize. No, it's okay, because I had literally just watched this episode of the show that I'm going to pick, and it inspired me to use it, even though it's not a time loop, because I think I have a point to make. Sure. <laughs> you can go first, I think, because yours is simpler. I picked two of them. I'll, I'll talk about one. We'll see how it goes, and then I'll do the second one. It's a music video directed by this guy, Michel Gondry. Heard of him. He did some films. It's a music video for the song Sugar Water by the band Chibo Mato. And Chibo Mato, it's kind of like Steely Dan. Like, there are two people who do all the songwriting and production and all that. There's these two Japanese ladies who were living in New York at the time. This would have been mid to late 90s. 96 was the music video. Yeah. And then they had different musicians who would cycle through the band and whatever. I, I got into a real big Chibo Mato phase, of course, right after they went on hiatus for 10 years <laughs> back in the early 2000s. And okay. this video is really neat because it's a really simple story. So I don't want to ruin it, but I want to intrigue the listener to seek this out. Mm -hmm. So it's the two principal ladies in Chibo Mato and... The screen is split and you're seeing one of them go through the action of the story and eventually meet the other one. Meanwhile, the other one is on the other side of the screen going through the action of her story and they pass each other and end up in the same place that they start. Yeah. And one of them is moving forwards until they hit the midpoint and then they start going backwards and the other one is going backwards and then turns and, and ends the story going forwards. And everything is synced up so that the things that you see are mirrored between these two points of view mm -hmm. perfectly. And you can leave the sound off. Just watch it. Like, you don't even need to listen to the music. Just watch the video if you want. The, the song's really cool. It's, it's a trip hop, late 90s trip hop sort of stuff. The other one, it's just a fun thing. It's uh, the sketch. When, when Robert told me about this project, the very first thing I thought of was a Monty Python sketch <laughs> called It's the Mind. And it's Michael Palin playing this sort of popular science television show presenter. We don't really have those shows anymore where it's like, look at the wonders of technology. Yeah. And he's talking about the phenomenon of deja vu. And he keeps getting, you know, maybe about two or three sentences into his story, and then he loops back and he's like, it's that strange feeling like you've been somewhere before. And then the sketch will start over again. Mm -hmm. But it's nested within an episode where people keep walking through this bizarre 
land around a dairy farm that's also a uh, psychology institute. And they keep walking through this bizarre landscape again and again and again. And then the same things are happening in the landscape, but slightly different. It was one of my favorite episodes growing up. Yeah. When you brought it up, I didn't remember it. And then I looked it up on YouTube and it was just apparently that they used his little announcer bit, I think on a DVD menu. So it would be even more repetitive. Oh my God. That would drive me nuts. <laughs> Cause it didn't have all that, like the stuff going on around it. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, this is hilarious. Cause it's only like 20 seconds at most. And then right. it just repeats. And then again, and then again, and I'm like, wow, clever. I remember DVD menus. <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite DVD menus was a movie I didn't even like, House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The clown guy mm -hmm. is like in the lobby of like some gift shop or whatever he has in the movie. I don't remember where he works on the menu and he's like announcing stuff and then he like wanders off. And if you leave it on the menu, he eventually comes back and talks again. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like talking Oh my to God. Yeah. You know, it was the age of the hidden track on CDs. Mm -hmm. and yep. My time loop for this week is from an episode of a show most people probably not even heard of. It's called Everything's Gonna Be Okay. It lasted two seasons, 10 episodes each, and it is about a Australian guy in his 20s who finds out that his biological father in the US is dying, and he asks him to come take care of his two little half-sisters, one of which is autistic. And the season finale, season one, which is called Discoid Cockroaches, every episode is titled after an insect, <laughs> They take her to New York because she has gotten accepted to Juilliard, but they don't think she's prepared to live in a city. The sequence, it's basically like a five-minute sequence where they go on the subway. She wants to go to this church where this particular musician played once so she can experience that place while listening to the music that that woman wrote. And then the next day, she wants to take that exact same ride again because she's autistic. She's not prepared for the new variables yet. She wants right. to get used to that. And at first, her sister and the brother are like confused, but they go along with it. But then it gets really fun because they realize they're going to do the same thing the third day and the fourth day. And so it's all these variables of like them dancing or waiting for her or doing all these different jokes along the way that make it more interesting. It has an unfortunate end because it's not in that five minutes, but later in the episode, she does it by herself and it does not go well. And so she doesn't end up moving to New York then, which... Reasonable production reason, you know, season two, you want all your characters to still be around. But in looking at that as a time loop, though, I was thinking about not just Groundhog Day, but also, you know, I'm connecting these three shows myself with Ex Machina or Eternal Sunshine. It's like the way we process our day. And I'm thinking of, well, I was going to hold it up. Chris, you'd be the only one who can see it. The Magic of Groundhog Day. Magic of Groundhog Day by Paul Hannum is basically the self-help book where he talks about what he calls the Groundhog Day effect, which is this idea that all of your days, if you have like an office job or some job you hate or, you know, a job, something you wouldn't call like a calling or a career or anything, that all your days will start to feel the same. And then I was thinking about it in terms of like people being autistic because like my wife has been recently actually diagnosed autistic. I probably am on some level, but diagnosis costs a lot, takes a lot of time, and I don't feel like it. And I think a lot of movies by minutes, people probably are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because this is the way we break down the world. Yeah, and I'm not joking. I'm, I'm being sincere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. When Sarah was on this show a few weeks ago, we talked about like how we're like mostly white men and we're colonizing movies, essentially. But it also comes down to we are turning movies into manageable. Where did this line come from? Was it something someone said on this show or did I say this? I don't even know where I got this. 
we're turning a movie into parts that we can manage the same way an autistic person deals with having to do their first subway trip in New York and being able to do that down on their own is you do it once, do it again and make sure you can handle it. Maybe do it a third time. And it's like Phil testing out the time loop. You're doing all the same stuff. He's still the same person every day as he goes into this loop. What changes are the details? What changes is who he pays attention to, what he tries to focus on. The whole point of this book is that it's not your life that has to change most of the time because you might not be able to change your life. It's you and the way you deal with your life. And I've said, actually, I cut that out of this show, but I said on this show, I'm kind of getting tired of teaching. And it was at the end of the episode, so I cut it out because it felt like a weird addendum to the conversation. And we were talking before we were recording these shows today, you and I, Chris, about if we could be podcaster as a living and make money off it and people actually come to my Patreon and give me money, that would be amazing. But in the meantime, the only thing I can adjust is my attitude about what I've got. And when I sit down to record a show, it's this episode of this show right now. And that's what I can make good Hmm. or as good as I can. When I sit down to edit it, I can try to make it better. So looking at this Just a five-minute sequence of a half-hour show got me thinking rather seriously about like how we deal with podcasting, how we deal with jobs, how we deal with all this stuff. And I love that. Yeah. I could really relate to that clip. You know, we just... Well, first of all, New York is terrifying to me. (laughs) I've still never been there. Yeah. And it, it because of its complexity, because of just the sheer number of moving parts of people of machinery, all with their own, it's like a just a mass, a hive or something. And you do not matter, <laughs> and especially in New York. Your desires to go from this side of the street to that side of the street does not matter at all. Right. I grew up in the suburbs where that that wasn't a thing. Like people are like, oh, <laughs> cute little kid. Oh, come over here. Talk to, you know, let's play, whatever. You know, New York is... Especially Manhattan. When I, I think when I refer to New York, I'm talking yeah, about New Manhattan. York City, yeah. You know, it's like it's, it's not that at all, obviously. And so I've always been sort of scared of like the big city. And to the state, I mean, I moved recently to Milwaukee, and this is about the highest population density I can handle. <laughs> and just in terms of like again, the number of moving objects in my yeah. space. So I, I can really relate to this to the point where like I've been known to do practice commutes. Like if I get a new job, yep. when, I, when I moved here, I did a practice commute so that when I went to do my commute for real, I would be less anxious. Yep. I'm never more anxious than when I'm starting something new in a highly complex environment. It's like I need to build in some repetitions. I was telling my wife this the other day. I said, I'm going to have to live here for a year before I feel comfortable because I need to know the rhythm of the place and the feel of the place. And she's like, what are you even talking about? Because she is not like me at all in this regard. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I need to have enough familiarity with the things going on around me that I can then have confidence in what I'm doing in that environment. Otherwise, I just feel very anxious. I mean, physically, I'll be physically sick Oh yeah. when I go to, I'll say, Los Angeles and someone says, I know they're not a thing anymore, but like, oh, let's go into Hollywood and we'll go to Amoeba Music. They're still there. They just moved. Oh, okay. As exciting as that was, I was filled with like dread and anxiety about how to get there. 
And then once I'm in there, oh my God, there's a hundred other people in the store. I'm probably in their way. <laughs> and I think, yeah, there's probably something that crave, like I crave the Groundhog Day scenario where I can practice something. Mm -hmm. I can practice going record shopping and pick the right record and strike up the right conversation with the guy running the store instead of fumbling around and being like, I, I, I like Kiss. Yeah. You know? And it, you'll be like, well, yeah, so does everybody else. I talked about it in a previous episode of this show, but the short film Time Freak has a great thing of that where he invented a time machine and he ends up using it at first to fix a bad interaction he had with the guy at the laundromat. Oh, that would be me. Because he feels bad about how he yelled at them. Oh, that would be me. And we're going to talk about this a lot in the final installment of the existential trilogy here. Yeah. Because I'm going to talk about how I would use the memory erasing technology. So I'll just, <laughs> I'll just dangle that out there as a teaser for that episode. Nice. My last thing for this, since I thought of it when you were just talking about craving the time loop is... I have prepared for a time loop or someone else being in a time loop. I have a code where if someone says it to me, I know they're in a time loop. Oh, wow. No one knows what that code is except for me. Bismarck pickles. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell people your code. You gotta pay a stranger to come up to you tomorrow and say Bismarck pickles. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> well, until tomorrow, when they hear you talking about eternal sunshine, where can they find you? Oh yeah. I don't have a .com or anything like that. But you can find the podcasts that I've worked on on Spotify. You can find Open the Podcast Doors Hell. That's the 2001 A Space Odyssey movie by minute. And then This Means Something is the podcast I did with Tierney Steele. We did a movies by minute for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And in the works. So if you can remember this in August, we are working on a movies by minute. We're going to cheat with the minutes rule a little bit, but we're going to do one for Apocalypse Now. And that one, I believe right now, the working title for that is the Apocalypse Now Minutes. Like, read back the minutes from the meeting. Nice. So, listeners, thank you for listening. The Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for more Groundhog Day every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Follow this show on Twitter at Groundhog Day MXM and on Instagram and Facebook at Groundhog Day Project. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. You can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. through time. What is wrong in the end which never comes? Or which comes again and again, lap, lap, laughing, like waves. Since the Big Bang set everything in motion, everything that happens in this universe has to be the way it is. Man, are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Particles unfolding the way they're destined to. How do you sleep at night? You've never seen Groundhog Day? Hmm. Yeah, you know Groundhog Day is not a documentary. Good evening.
Tonight on It's the Mind, we examine the phenomenon of deja vu. That strange feeling we sometimes get that we've lived through something before. Good evening. Tonight on It's the Mind, we examine the phenomenon of deja vu. That strange feeling we sometimes get that we've lived through something before. Good evening. Tonight on It's the Mind, we examine the phenomenon of deja vu. That strange feeling we sometimes get that we've lived through something before. Good evening. Tonight on It's the Mind, we examine the phenomenon of deja vu. That strange feeling we sometimes get that we've lived through something before. Good evening. Tonight on It's the Mind, we examine the phenomenon of deja vu. That strange feeling we sometimes get that we've lived through something before. Good evening. Tonight on It's the Mind, we examine the phenomenon of deja vu. That strange feeling we sometimes get that we've lived through something before. y'all still doing here? What, are you in love with my ass or something? Well, why don't you just get up off that couch and come here and kiss me on my ass then? Jesus Christ. I... Oh, well, fine. It is now official. You have just wasted most of my fucking day. It's lunchtime already. Damn. You will excuse me, won't you? Well, thank you very much. Mmm. One of them juicy motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. I love this shit. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, damn. Mmm. Y'all got to get a laugh, I'm telling you. Mmm. I bet you these go over real big at the police station. Mmm. <laughs> Mmm. Damn. Well, fuck you very much. <laughs>